everyone and welcome to this episode of Stepping Out with me, Cass Pritchard. Now being British, I like to talk about the weather and it's been lovely here recently. Even the hailstorms I've experienced in my neck of the woods in Buckinghamshire has made for an exciting week. Everything is opening up, obviously nature, but also us and social situations. And I don't know about you, but the calendar is looking a bit scribbled on now. Last year, lots of crossings out. This year, lots of pencilling in. So be careful not to overload yourself, but do have fun with organising some trips and maybe some longer walks this year. And you can even stay over now to split one up. I did another 50k walk last weekend as part of my Prostate Cancer UK mission involving 10 long distance walks, which is a mighty fine walk indeed. So pretty in the woods with the thousands of bluebells and birds singing. It was probably one of the only days recently where it hasn't rained, but I did notice that the smell of bluebells after rain is quite honestly delicious. So if you're planning a visit to some bluebell woods, go after it's rained a bit. It's a whole different experience. If you'd like any ideas for walks, incidentally, head on over to OS Maps or simply type into Google local walking groups and join people nearby to get out and about. If you're into longer routes, try the Long Distance Walking Association who have a real mix on there to get stuck into. And let's not forget podcast guest Mike Brockhurst's site, The Walking Englishman. He has a ton of routes on there all over the country and you can download them to your favourite app to direct you on the trails. So loads of resources for you to get out of your lockdown route rut this year. Enjoy. Incidentally, if you need any advice on how to build up your walking distance, gear, trail nutrition or simply some motivation, then the Sport Walk Show on YouTube is what you need. Excellently put together videos by my friend Roger Berlinson, also a podcast guest, a professional filmmaker and avid sport walker. He gives us loads and loads of useful tips on there and training programmes and route ideas for making the most of your walking for fitness. And I have a little stepping out feature on there too. That's the Sport Walk Show on YouTube. Okay, it's May 2021 and this podcast is being published at the end of Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK. And so let's talk about today's guest and that person is Simon Heath. When you're walking through a a space that's full of life and and full of so much different forms of life, you're then also at the same time really examining your own kind of journey towards what what self-actualization means your your own growth then there's a real uh, power in in the way that those two two elements combine simon is a counselor and ecotherapist and all-round lovely chap with an excellent beard to boot ecotherapy is an umbrella term for traditional counseling that takes place in the natural world Simon will explain all about that, but let's just say it's remarkable what it can do for everyone on so many levels. As its effective immersion in nature affords us a real visceral connection or reconnection to self, and with that, a sense of freedom. As well as having his own private practice, he also works in Devon Counselling College as a tutor. And today we talk about mental health, the value of therapy and how walking can help us move forward and give us choices on where we want to go. Right, I'm sure you're poised and ready to go. So grab your gear, step outside and we'll get on our way. Hi Simon, it's great to speak with you today, especially during Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK here. How is it down there in lovely Devon? It's absolutely beautiful today. Um, we had 
thunder, lightning, sleet, and torrential rain yesterday, and it's it's but it's beautiful here today. It's amazing, isn't it? This weather. It's just all over the place at the moment. You never quite know what you're going to get. No, no. It's kind of. We're never sure whether it's like take a, a coat or, or shorts at the moment. It's um, actually <laughs> or really all of cold it. this time of year. Yeah, it is quite chilly. You kind of look at the sun and think, oh, it's really, really nice and sunny. And you go outside and think, oh, we should put an extra layer on. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all good. It's all just weather, isn't it? Which is what we're all about. So, yes. But Simon, you're a therapeutic counsellor. So firstly, I want to ask you to describe what the therapeutic counselling approach is and what its aims are so that we can kind of get a better understanding, if that's okay. Sure. I work in an um, integrative approach. So I work with a number of different counselling processes all of which are designed to help the people that I'm working with my, my clients to to really find their own answers um, mm-hmm. so people will, will maybe come to me and, and and want to sort something out in their lives and and it it varies from from person to person what that might be uh, and what I do is is I I use listening skills and, and various tech approaches and techniques to really help them work out for themselves what the what their path is and where where they need to go to to really kind of find a different place to be. So I, I would never say about it's not about fixing things or for people or for them to find happiness because it's which is something that people often say oh, no, I just want to be happy, but it, it's more about giving them the awareness to really define growth uh, towards a, a set of goals or, or really just to find the strength within to kind of when, when things are, aren't as, as good as they, they could be to be able to get through that and, and keep moving forward. Mm. So would you say it's um, pretty much predominantly a person-centred approach that you've adopted? Um, it, it is, yeah. I, I use, I use um, person-centred as sort of the... The, the base core of, of what I do, but it is also com- the way I work is combined with elements of um, CBT, so cognitive behaviour therapy. I, I use that less commonly, but it is for certain certain clients, it's something that they really uh, like. I use parts of transactional analysis as well, mm-hmm. um, especially for people with complicated relationship issues or with people who are worrying about the way that they communicate with with, with people uh, and I also use quite a lot of gestalt therapy as well so really sort of basing ourselves in the, the immediacy of of, of now. Mm-hmm. Whereas transactional analysis could you just describe what that is for people that don't know? Yeah, so it it's looking at um, the way that we communicate with one another so it's I guess the, the probably the most common known example of it is, is when you work with uh, three ego states. So we we all, when we communicate with somebody, fall into either a, a, an adult communication state or a parent or a child state. And quite often we find that if we're working with people, we, sometimes we, we find ourselves dropping into a state which isn't healthy for, for communication. It's about bringing the awareness of, of adult to adult communication across the board. Mm. And it is really about awareness because I remember when I read about that and, and started learning about that, that was a real eye opener. And you can 
really attach it to yourself you can hear yourself going into these various states and and it's so helpful to know about that i think for everybody just to just to know that really isn't it absolutely and and i i i think awareness is, is as you say is really key and and, and I, at the beginning i was sort of saying it's not about fixing and it is about allowing people once people have got an awareness they can then work with that and i and i do so myself i'm always remember that I, when i first started this this work i i used to use the word you a lot when i was talking about stuff so i would say oh you know what it's like when you do this mm-hmm. and actually what i was really meaning is i know what it's like when i do this mm. and and just that that awareness of changing my you to an i was was, was a huge it, it gave me ownership of a lot of the things that i was trying to work through Mm. And have you found as well that during lockdown and obviously as we've sort of we're coming out the other side now, do you find that a lot of people have become more self-aware or they're struggling with being um, aware of things that are going on in their lives? Do you think that's really changed during this period of time? I I think so. Yeah, it's one of those really um, interesting questions because I think quite often I know that I gravitate towards people who have got similar interests as I have as everybody does and so when I start thinking about my levels of awareness I'm aware that I'm also drawn to people who have that same level of of interest in that sort of thing so certainly everybody that I know and all all the people that I'm working with all have a really strong sense of through lockdown it has really changed their their levels of self-awareness and also kind of awareness of where we as individuals sit in a, in a broader picture. I, th- I think for a lot of people being alone has given them some, you know, really serious time to, to contemplate what it, what it means to be not just who they are, but what it means in terms of who we all are collectively and, and, and how we, we communicate with one another. Yeah. And, and like you said, people have been on their own, but also, the awareness of how you interact with people in your own household. I mean, a lot of the time, you know, if um, people are working full time or one person's working full time and the other person's predominantly at home or whatever, suddenly everybody's thrown together. And even the relationship with children and, and all sorts of taking away of people that you see regularly that you might perhaps want to see more than people in your house on occasion yeah absolutely it's a real it's a real mix isn't it I mean so many people I think found themselves suddenly very isolated Mm. and and some people found themselves very isolated yet surrounded by people Mm. And, and I think that is a real key a key thing that you can like say find yourself stuck in a small space with with a load of people and actually find that you you need to get out and and, and, and talk to somebody else and, and somebody who, who kind of understands what's what what it is going on for you mm. whereas those people that are, are close to you physically might not necessarily be emotionally close to you so yeah it's been a real eye-opener for a lot of people I think yeah a lot of developments have gone on there and like you say it wasn't always easy and we were kind of zoomed to death as well weren't we in a lot of situations where it was you know, okay, let's get on Zoom and have a conversation. But it's not the same as in person, would you say? Because you don't have that um, sort of physical proximity. You can't pick up on things. You know, things are dropping out all over the place because the internet, because the whole world's on it, talking to one another. And it, uh, it can be a real challenge, all of those changes together. And if there's 
something that's going on in your life anyway and then suddenly that happens it's just going to you know amplify it isn't it oh absolutely yeah i I, I'm, I think the whole zoom technology has been incredible for, for so many people in terms of giving them the opportunity to keep in touch but the way that we actually communicate when we're on zoom it is so different than that that face-to-face -face interaction it really is and it's I often think that, you know, when I'm Zooming somebody, all I can see is the sort of head and shoulders shot of somebody. And you've got, you can't see any of the body language. You can't mm. see, you can't pick up on a lot of the nuances of, of just small gestures that people make. And also there's, there's a real lack of eye contact. If I want to really look at somebody, I have to look at the screen mm. and, and, and my camera is at the top of my screen. So if I'm looking directly at the camera I can't actually see that person so there's a real kind of disconnect between mm. making eye-to-eye -eye contact but then actually it it's sort of eye-to-camera contact and it really does throw a, a real spanner in the works in terms of developing a real connection I think with with people either that you don't know or for those people that you know really well and, and you, know, you can't hug at the moment so it, it, it's a great tool, but uh, it, it's no, um, it, it doesn't replace that that physical intimacy of, of, of actually being with somebody in a shared space. So what prompted you to take the journey into becoming a counsellor in the first place then? Because it's not really a decision that one takes lightly, is it? No, it took me a long time. So I, I first did a um, an introductory course when I was 18 and I, I did that and completed it. And, and Part of that course made me realise that I, th I didn't think that I was I was ready. And I, looking back, I think there was a, a certain... I, I think it, it was a scary prospect of, of taking that on at that age. Mm. Um, I don't think I had enough life experience in many ways. And then I, I kind of, like a lot of people, got into a relationship, got into other areas of work and, and kind of got... And I, I sort of hit 40 and thought, I really don't want to be doing what I'm doing for the rest of my life. I, I want to change and I want to do something that has, has for me an element of worth and something that I can do that will give back to, to, to people and also really kind of um, something that I can do for, for quite some time as well and do anywhere. So there were, there's also all of that sort of stuff was in the mix. And I just, I just went back to, the idea that actually counselling is, is such a powerful, powerful tool for, for helping people change. Mm -hmm. I had some counselling myself throughout the years and, and, and at those times when I sort of, I wouldn't necessarily say hit rock bottom. Sometimes it was, but sometimes it was just actually, I, I just need, I need a sounding board to kind of just work my way through whatever it is I'm working through. And, and it had always been really helpful. And, and it, it, to me, that was, that was a, a key thing. So I started on a, on a level three course and then worked my way through the diploma and, and, and onwards to becoming a self-employed therapist. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, you know, <laughs> I've had to have some counselling as part of this course that I've done and, uh, and doing. And yeah, I kind of think, I don't really know what I'm going to go with. Well, the poor lady, after an hour, I think I just kind of, you know, reeled all this stuff up. And you don't actually realise how 
amazing it is just to speak to somebody who's completely for you they've no other agenda they're not going to talk about themselves it's not a conversation in that way um the power of that initial session that I had was incredible and I got off that call and I felt really emotional because all these things that you don't realize that you've got inside that yeah you might trickle out to your friends or your family and say a few bits here and there but the actual real intrinsic stuff that's in there from years ago perhaps you don't necessarily voice that so it, it for me it was incredibly powerful to get that out I, I absolutely yeah and I it's something that I I've I've experienced myself as a as a client uh, that being held uh, and mm. I, I, it's really interesting because I, I use the word sort of like being held and it, it can sound really a little bit pretentious and a little bit kind of arty mm. arty farty hippieish and I, I completely embrace that within who I am but it can also sound just a little bit a little bit pretentious that we hold people but when you're uh, working with somebody and and you're in that space and for the full hour that you're working with somebody they are opening up and 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 giving giving so much of 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 themselves in terms of deep emotional either and it's not always deep emotional trauma but just just deep emotional thoughts and feelings that perhaps they've never shared with anybody else before it really is a really powerful and, and an emotional process and as I said as a client I've experienced it of, of kind of just having somebody listen and actively listen and, and not be judgmental and then and, and not kind of then say oh yeah the same thing happened to me and <laughs> oh, oh you're right no that's awful but just listen and just in no way kind of make any judgments about anything that I'm talking about um, was, was really really powerful yeah yeah and it is about being held as well i think that mm. hour or the therapeutic 50 minutes that is a real suspension of time i found you know you are in it and you're out of it and you think whoa it's almost like being in a dream and coming out of it again you know because you are you know that you're able to just divulge anything and everything and it's very liberating and completely freeing to be able to do that so i think what a lot of people perhaps don't realize if you've never had it or, or given it is um it's not just about you know people working out your problems it really is about that release and even just telling somebody something for that hour or so that in itself could honestly be enough for some people you know just have that one hour and just go right I've told someone that's it I'm going to walk away and I'm completely I'm, I'm much better now obviously for a lot of people um, most of the time it's longer than that but even just that first session is is unbelievably useful isn't it absolutely yeah and I've, I've, I've um, I have looked at doing some single session work and, and did a little bit of training for it because I think there is especially at the moment there are, I think there are a lot of people that have maybe considered talking to somebody for the first time and, and like you say the power of, of the release just in that one session mm. might be kind of what exactly what somebody needs and, and with so many people you know struggling with financial difficulties with not working or maybe their partner not working and, and really kind of needing to watch the purse strings but at the same time also look after themselves actually a single session could be just what is needed for for, for somebody and and it is it's a real a real release 
sitting on the other side as a counsellor listening to somebody it can be incredibly overwhelming when that, that almost like that dam breaks and, and and somebody starts talking about one thing and then it, it triggers something else mm-hmm. and it's their the kind of like their whole whole life story can come out in in, in a 50 minute session and it, and it really is incredibly uh, incredibly powerful and also a real privilege that they there is that trust there that you will you know you'll listen and, and and keep that keep whatever is said confidential yeah and it's that feeling of um i think real gratitude on on your part i guess you know that, that you are able to be there i mean we've all experienced as non-counselors as well people that have come to you and a friend maybe or a family member and have said some has said something to you and to get it off their chest and I always think, I for one think, you know, I'm so pleased you told me because it could be something that they could have kept inside. And and it's that gratitude, isn't it, to know that, thank goodness, there's someone here listening to you. Because obviously you as a counsellor must hear lots of quite serious things as well. And and it makes you wonder if they didn't speak to you, what what would happen? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is. It's that there are certain things that yeah, we've all got really good friends, or I say we all have a lot of people have got really good friends that you you sort of say I could tell them anything, but sometimes even your really best friends or family members, there there are things that you you don't want to to talk about for fear, and not necessarily even for fear of judgment, but just because it it can feel like such a big thing to almost burden somebody else with. So to have somebody who will listen and and be non-judgmental is amazing, and to be that person that they put their trust in and, and is, is a real honour. It really is. Yeah. And what would you say your biggest challenge was on the courses that you took to qualify? Because it's it's not um, a course that's done in a you know six months, is it? This is years and years of training to get yeah. to this point. So what were your biggest challenges? Oh, I, I think probably, I think there were probably three, three things really. So one was the, the real in-depth, personal reflection that we had to undertake and I, I really loved it and enjoyed it and 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 now when I'm when I'm teaching it's it's the thing that I, I feel is the really the most important part of of counseling training is is that reflection of us as to kind of who who we are and why we why we think like we do and why we feel like we do and where those thoughts come from and and and, and the whole gamut of that but that is really challenging and it's really can be really hard doing that over a sustained period of time to the point where it becomes sort of navel gazing and, and a bit self-indulgent or also where it becomes you know quite disturbing because some for me i found there were, there were, there were sort of some long-held beliefs that i had about myself that when i started to unpick them and realize sort of either where they came from or that actually I didn't think that I and, and, and sort of changed my opinion that suddenly that kind of rock it can be very rocking as to think your self-perception as to who you are mm. um or and it, for me it was it was very much a I found that really challenging um and that's why it was great that as part of the course we had to have 20 hours of personal therapy as well mm. um so I think that was that was the first thing I think that the, the second thing was actually the first real session. So all the skills practice that we have in 
in college and, and it was great. We, we, you know, we practiced a lot and we looked at different techniques, but that first session of walking into a room with a client as part of the placement mm. and sitting opposite somebody and thinking, this is for real. This, this, this is, this is what I've been training for the last three, four years to do. Yeah. And now I'm here. Quite daunting. Um, yeah. Really, really, I really sort of, uh, kind of, uh, it's a bit like standing on top of a cliff and kind of going, okay, I know that I've done all this practice. I know I've got a parachute and I know where I'm going to land, but I've just got to take that first step. Mm-hmm. And and seeing in the client a, a similar kind of thing that maybe, you know, that they had waited a long time to see somebody mm. and, and they were, you know, looking to maybe take a first step as well. So those, those two, those two things. And, and for me, there was a lot of, um, a lot of real personal stuff that went on bang in the middle of my my second year of the of the course so um, my father-in-law passed away mm. um and then fairly soon afterwards my wife and i separated and divorced so there were you know, there were two massive changes right in the middle of the uh, of my my sort of training and and uh, in many ways you know, they couldn't have happened at worse time in terms of the disruption to the course but actually in many ways they couldn't happen if they were going to happen yeah they happened at a time when I was surrounded by people that gave me a lot of support and compassion and really sort of supported me through a really difficult time in a way that I don't think I'd have had that support from any other group yeah and it really is amazing I mean you know, the course that I'm on at the moment, it, it, you become so close to the group so quickly because it is a platform for anything you want to say. And that's the whole idea is you use your group as sounding boards and, and the same vice versa. Um, but it really can turn you inside out. And if you're not quite ready or there's something happening in your life where by having yourself turned inside out, it's not really sitting right, then that's when people struggle, I think, with with it. it. It's not an easy process to go through. And of course, like you said, when you become very perhaps self-absorbed and you're looking inside so much, then your life outside can begin to suffer or to change or the way you look at it changes. And and again, that can that can have a real impact on your life, can't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it can do. And I, 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 I see it quite a lot with, with learners now that are in groups that I'm, I'm teaching where they're used to sharing everything with their, their partner or, or spouse. And, and, and part of the, the, the counselling confidentiality is that stuff happens that we then, it, it remains within the, either the, the learning space or when you're actually counselling within the, the counselling space. And and so th- there is a disconnect that happens, um, and some people go, oh, "I've got the support of my my partner. They're you know they're, they're always there for me. We talk about everything." And then suddenly they're coming and group meeting with a group of people every every week or every month and discussing quite in, you know really intimate details, and then going back and not being able to talk about that with their partner or spouse. So it can it can be yeah it, it's not it's a hard road sometimes that mm. we that we we set out on with with the counselling training and, and counselling practice as well. Yeah, and that just got me thinking actually about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which which people have probably heard about, with 
the fundamental sort of physiological needs at the bottom, such as food and warmth and and you might want to add Wi-Fi connection into that. <laughs> and then you've got sort of uh, safety needs and then love and belonging, I think it is, and then esteem. And at the top, you've got that sort of self-actualization piece. Can you explain what self-actualization is for everyone? Because really that's what you're talking about there is, you know, people are attempting to achieve this. We're all, we, people, we might not be aware that we're trying to do it, but can you just explain what that self-actualization actually means? I can certainly try to, yeah. Um, and, and again, I think it, it's a it's a really interesting concept in that, in many ways, it is a concept, and and it, it's a, I guess in a, in a in real simple terms, it's kind of like having all your ducks in a row. So you've got everything sorted out, and you are there's there's a, a connection between your real self and your your perception of yourself and your and, and other people's perception of yourself so um we all have an ideal of what we what we would like to be so it, it could be i don't know something like you know i really i really fancy having a six pack and and, and being really fit and uh, and you know like brad pitt and fight, fight club maybe <laughs> um and that's like a physical example of how i want to be and I could reach, and, and you know, with, with lots of training and diet and everything, I, I you know, I'm, I could possibly reach something akin to that. But inside, if I still am not happy, if if there is still something within me that r- remains unresolved, I, I won't have met my my goal of what I perceive to be perfect. And self actualization is when so the the mental and emotional perception of yourself. It matches what is going on for you in all areas of your life. So it's not about necessarily about the physical aspect, but it might well be that you realise what what is it that makes me want to look like that? What is it that I'm looking for? What am I trying to achieve? And reaching that that point where you go, actually, I've reached a point where how I feel about myself and how others perceive me is matched. Yeah. But I would, I would, I would say as well that I think it is is very much a concept in terms of. And it was, it's really interesting you asked this question because we had a discussion about this on a, on a course I was teaching last night, where one guy was saying that he works in an organisation with people with um, extreme autism, and on Maslow's hierarchy of need, they meet the, the, the their first two steps are are met so that their physiological needs are are met and that they have somewhere safe to to live but in terms of them moving on to a relationship need or and then self-esteem it's almost impossible for them to reach that level so self-actualization which is the next level above that is 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 out of reach for them Mm. but there is that thing of we all have our are points to which we can work and for them actually if they can get dressed by themselves they they, they have self-esteem mm-hmm. which could for them lead to the point where they go actually i am really happy with who i am at this moment and that self-actualization mm. for them and i think self-actualization is also as a goal is quite i think it potentially is quite dangerous because once you reach it as soon as you've reached something like that life changes mm-hmm. and, and it's then actually you can you can lose that and have to you, know, you can start again and you know if one of the 
the blocks in, in, in the hierarchy of need disappears, you you have to start again and build your way back up again. So it's, it's a really interesting concept of getting to a point where there's a there's an inner contentedness um, or contentment, but I think it changes, and I think it changes very much on personal experience and from person to person. Yeah, and also throughout your life. And it's interesting what you were saying there about esteem, because I guess um, so many of us, you know, you might build things into your life that might you think might give you great self-esteem or it looks like you have self-esteem, but in actual fact, there's things inside that aren't resolved or you're not sure about yourself or there's things going on that you don't necessarily divulge. And, you know, we can kind of construct these lives without even realising it. It's a self protection mode if you like or um mm. something that you see in other people so you think well okay they've got it together you know i'm going to do what they do or i'm going to have what they have and there is a lot of this um when i was talking to heather waring recently i, I loved her phrase of um comparisonitis you know where everybody <laughs> is thinking right well they seem they've got it together but in actual fact when you dig well not even dig that deep you just peel away the surface layer you realize that there's a lot of that a lot of those self-esteem issues that are just beneath the surface and perhaps people haven't really found the time to dig around in themselves like like we were talking about during these courses where you really ask yourself the question who am I what is it I really want you know how am I going to keep it real what is this all about why am I pretending to be this or pretending to be that and it's a very easy thing to fall into, isn't it? And like you oh, said, when yeah. you are in that state and then change that state in any way, whatever, things around you then look different. And like you say, you might end up having to sort of start again and say, oh, okay, uh, I need to really explore that area. So yeah, you're absolutely right, I think. It is, and I, I, there's a big, uh, I, I, that comparisonitis, I really like that as a phrase because mm. it, it does, so ring true. I mean, there's, there's a phrase that, that we use in counselling training um, about the external locus of evaluation, yeah. which is a really interesting um, idea in that we, we kind of, when we're really small as, as babies, we have a very, we have an internal locus of evaluation, which basically means that we know what, what we want and what we need mm-hmm. to make us happy. So we either need we either need food or drink. We need our nappies changing. We need a, a hug. We we need to be a bit colder or a bit warmer. And and it's really sort of basic. Mm. But as we grow, we get conditioned by others. So we get told, oh, if you, well, you know, if you clear your plate, you you're a good boy. Or if you if you do this, that that's 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 well done, and you get some praise. Or if you do something wrong you get some form of of punishment either sort of physical or or emotional and and as we grow we 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 hold on to those examples of oh when i do this i i get positive strokes and so we end up with building an external locus of evaluation so we look to others for our own happiness so mm-hmm. and it it could be that people measure their their personal success and happiness by the amount of money they've got in the bank or the the size of the house that they own or the number of letters after their name or or whatever it happens to be whatever their driver is 
and I, a self-actualization is is really looking to strip that away and get back to actually i'm happy with me yeah um but to get there there's a lot of there's a lot of other things that you have to have in place mm. a lot of work goes on and it's those stripping back those um conditions of worth isn't it it's saying yes. you know i don't if i don't do that actually nothing's gonna happen <laughs> you know yes. if, if i set that boundary in place that's okay and people just need to learn to stay on that side of the fence you know that's that's what you're talking about isn't it finding your own inner confidence and happiness and sitting with what you actually are inside yeah yeah which, which is tough yeah absolutely a lot of work this is why it's such a long course yes yeah <laughs> get to that yeah, point absolutely yeah because if you can't go through that then obviously you're unable to allow other people to go through that Absolutely, and 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 that thing of how it can change as well feels, I think, is really important. So, you know, as as a as a therapist, if I'm tackling my own issues, actually, in, in some ways, that makes me a better therapist because I've got through, I've worked my way through some of the my own demons and and worked through stuff and know that it's doable. But at the same time, if I I can't be 100% with a client if I'm also working through my own stuff mm. um, I need to I need to be able to get to a point where I've got my stuff together to, to a point where I can give my client my undivided attention for that the time that we are together and not be triggered by anything they say um, or at least if I am triggered by it be able to recognize that it's a trigger and then take it to supervision for for, for processing yeah yeah i'd like to ask you this simon because especially in um, mental health awareness week which is what we're currently sitting in at the moment um especially in this country really that the word therapy is often only really felt comfortable with for a lot of people i guess when we perhaps talk in terms of beauty and what i mean by that is unless we're referring to something for our outsides being therapized such as massage therapy or i don't know therapy or hair therapy or whatever it is yeah. inside therapy can sometimes be perceived as a bit of a flaw or a perception that something is wrong with a person and um and that can also cause a lot of judgment from other people we talked a bit about judgment earlier but maybe they thinking that it's the person's fault or something wrong with them like i said or even though most of it um, well, most people need therapy in this country or should or, or perhaps would benefit from it rather. Um, and actually, when we think about it, music, for example, which most of us listen to is a form of internal therapy as well. And we don't even kind of think about that too much. But I suppose what I'm asking is, do you find when people decide to tap into their insides and come and see you that they feel an apprehension or a sense of shame or even maybe an alienation from others? What's your view on that? Wow. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I. I think potentially yes. So I. I think it's a really, a really interesting question. I. And I. I think the the way that mental health is perceived, um, in this country, um, and I don't think this. It's just just the UK. I think it is. I think it's like a, probably a Western um, perception of, of mental health being something that it is not spoken about almost like it's a taboo I, I i think it it does produce a massive barrier for a lot of people coming to to therapy to start off with i, I think a lot of people would probably like you say would 
really benefit from having therapy at a much earlier stage than a lot of people ask for it. And I guess it's like an analogy of mate. If it was a physical ailment, so if, if for instance, you had a um, someone has got a bad back, if it if it's really sore, people then tend to treat it. So they might sort of take some painkillers, and if that doesn't work, maybe go to the pharmacist and get some sort of back support or heat pad. Maybe then go to see their doctor, then be referred to a specialist. And during all of that time, be quite happy to say, oh, I've got a jippy back or mm. I can't come to work today because I've got a bad back or just be at home and say, oh, you know, I could really do with a massage or I could, my back's sore. It's stuff that we talk about. That same person who might be feeling anxious, probably, you know, very rarely would think, oh, I will talk to somebody about that anxiety because all my family and friends are going through a lot at the moment. So I'll, I'll keep it to myself or it's just the way that I am. I'll, I'll get over it. And they, they, there aren't the steps there until it gets to maybe a crisis point where somebody else might say to them, you really need to get this sorted out or, or they do something or say something, overreact storm out of a meeting or, mm-hmm. or you know or, or have some sort of breakdown yeah, it bottles up yeah and, and and it's because we don't let as society we, we there is a judgment placed upon people who are having mental difficulties and and even the, I mean, even the phrase there with I was, was thinking quite often it, it's known as it's described as mental weakness mm. um and it, it, I, I think it is getting better. I, I, I genuinely believe that mm. there is a, a large movement towards um, it being less of a, a, a taboo subject and something that people are more willing to, and, and free to talk about. But again, I'm very much aware that based on what I do and the people that I communicate with and with my social circle, that we are all people that kind of, of do that. And there are vast areas of society, vast cultures, subcultures within our society where that is so far from the case and and so many people bottle things up and get to the point where actually it becomes becomes too much yeah and you mentioned work there as well you know so many people are expected to perform to a certain level and you've got to be keep everything in check you know and I guess for for people that feel that perhaps they can't cope with it or they don't want to cope with it is something they don't want to do anymore there is a real expectation and almost I suppose they could feel trapped in that situation and not be able to even give themselves much self-care I mean I've said to people when I had my my uh sets of therapy recently is is you know oh it's amazing you should do it you know really advertising it going oh everybody should do it it's so incredible la 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 banging on about it and you know I did have people say to me oh there's nothing wrong with me I'm fine and that was the reaction you know and I think that perception is quite common you know I think people it's somewhere you go when you're broken and actually that could be the case you know you might have got to that point where you think I literally cannot take this anymore I have no choice but to do that. But if only there was some kind of understanding that you don't have to get to that point, that breaking point to go and have any sessions, do you? No, not at all. And and, and in the same way that people will sign up to go to a gym to keep themselves fit physically, 
Um, and, and and there are health benefits of of mental health benefits of, of being health physically healthy and fit. But we we don't sort of think, oh, I'll sign up to some therapy mm. as a or I'll sign up to something just purely because it, it's good for my mental health. We, we we maybe sign up for things that we enjoy. Um, yeah. But I think that that's that is different. You know, the, the, there's not that real cognitive decision to say I'm going to do something for my mental health mm. um, as part of my daily routine for, for 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 so many people and we end up when, when you were talking about sort of somebody you know, at work expected to perform it, it's a perfect example of an external locus of evaluation that oh I, I can't I can't stop because everybody everybody knows I'm a high flyer and I you know I achieve and I I get the sale or I, I my, my team perform because I lead from the front and, and and actually that person might be just inside saying I just need to stop mm-hmm. I just need a break or I, I need to change I need to get balance but that that gets drowned out by the by the perception of them being a, a go-getter or, or or whatever it whatever it is that I can't stop because that's a sign of weakness. Yeah, the roller coaster continues kind of thing. So So, ecotherapy, let's talk about that because it's something I've a huge interest in and not only for myself, but for other people as well. And I generally tend to step out into nature every day at some point um, to, I suppose, cleanse my mind and sieve through any things which I'm aware of or not aware of most of the time. And I find it hugely beneficial. So can you tell me, what do you define ecotherapy as? Oh, okay. Um, so ecotherapy for me, in terms of how I work, in, in its simplest form is walk and talk. I walk with my clients in the countryside and they talk, um, I listen. I We have a counselling session in the open air Sometimes that will mean that we walk for the full 50 minutes. Um, sometimes it will be that we will we'll stop at a, at a point and, and sit. Sometimes as part of that, they may go off on, on their own and do some sort of personal exploration of an area and then come back and we talk about that. For me, it it's not just the idea of here's a counselling session and it just happens to be outside. It's a session of therapy that takes place in the natural world and and helps us let's say helps us it help does help me as well but it helps the client to reconnect and when i when I, whenever i write that i always put the the re the re at the beginning in mm. brackets so it's like to connect with nature but also to reconnect with nature and and to really start to see ourselves as as, some, as part of something much bigger so i often think about the ecosystems in which where I work and thinking that what when we are walking through a, a piece of forest or um, a field or the sand dunes or wherever it happens to be that each of those places is an ecosystem and when we're in that we are part of that ecosystem mm-hmm. uh, and I think so often as as humans we kind of see nature as being something other than us and, and, and being different and when you're walking through a, a space that's full of life and, and full of so much different 
forms of life, you're then also at the same time really examining your own kind of journey towards what what self-actualization means, your your own growth, then there's a real uh, power in in the way that those two, two elements combine. Yeah. And I always think as well, when you when you're talking with people outside and we've all experienced a lot more of that recently, it really allows people to and myself obviously process and move forward with a story because we are quite literally moving forward. So what's behind us is gone. What's in front of us is yet to be. And the fact that we're not face to face, we don't have that influence and there is a certain amount of freedom with that. Is that how you see it? Oh, absolutely. The, the number of times we've, I've, I've been walking with a with with a client, and the, the landscape has provided us with a a, a real, a really strong metaphor for what it is that we're talking about. So I've I've worked with with a client, and we've walked the same path every session. And we in the middle of the winter, and it had been chucking it down with rain for the whole week. And we got to an open part of the walk, and there was a, the stream had flooded, and it was it was completely impassable. And what they were talking about at that time was making a choice between one relationship and another, and one of the relationships was was a new relationship, and one was a past relationship. And there was a real sort of such a huge reluctance for my client to turn around and walk back because the stream was flooded we, we couldn't move forward but there was a real thing about I, I, I don't want to go back mm. and that became such a huge metaphor for uh, the rest of that session and then when we did finally say right we, we're gonna have we, we stood by the stream um in full flow and and there was a full flow of discussion as well so there was all of these sort of um linking elements um, and then we did walk back, but we, we chose a different path to walk that was a, a, a new path. And there are so many examples of that, uh, of where somehow the interaction of getting to a crossroads or a fork in the path. And I never lead the client. I always say to the client, which way do you want to go from here? Um, and for some clients, it's sort of, Oh, I don't know that way, so that doesn't feel safe. So we we go a, a well-trodden path, but I bring that to the, their attention, and, and you know, maybe the next session they choose a different path or what have you. So that it is so so rich in mm. terms of the, the metaphorical um, element it gives, but more than that, it really does kind of allow us to just stop a second and just realize the connection connections that we probably don't even think about on a day-to-day basis Mm, and and really allowing them to sort of step out of their comfort zone maybe and step out of their normal way of thinking as well so that's that's really useful and so what other techniques do you use i mean do you use specific things like a tree you know there are certain things that you found uh, most people resonate with um every, every session and every client has their own needs and, and their own and i keep using the word path but it it, it does feel really relevant um i have a, quite often in counseling people talk about journeys and i i it's a bit of a personal bugbear for me I, I i'm not a big fan of the word journey but in the work that i do it, it does actually really resonate as a, as a, as a really powerful word 
But yeah, every every client is different and every session is different. And what I've what I've noticed a couple of clients as we're walking. So one of the areas that I work in is is a beautiful bit of parkland that moves into woodland, that moves into fields, and and one route you can go back up into into the woods, and there's a an Iron Age hill fort up there, and then another path takes you back through into a, an estate of houses that then weaves back through some footpaths back into the, the starting point, and it's really interesting that. On a subconscious level, clients that I see on a, on a regular basis, depending on what it is that they're talking about, they they will follow one of the pathways. So we've got one client, for instance, and I, they know that I'm I'm doing this today, and, and they 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 were quite happy for me to to talk about this, obviously without not giving anything away as to who they are. Mm-hmm. But they 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 they've got a couple of things that, that they're working through. One of them is to do with a relationship with their partner, and one is to do with a relationship with their 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 family. And whenever they're talking about their family, we go on uh, when we reach crossroads, we go in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. And whenever they're talking about their partner, we we head off in a, in a different direction. And it's really interesting that it's a really subconscious thing that actually one way is is kind of where they feel comfortable talking about one element of their life and and the other is where they feel comfortable talking about the other mm. um and it, it, it that in itself to me is it's it's just so so powerful and and there's occasionally we get to the point where we've stopped where they've kind of had both both things so it's like the relationship with the partner and the family and how they're in gelling together and it's kind of like we've got to the crossroads and they've kind of gone, I'm not sure which way to go now. And and that in itself kind of is, is was really telling because it wasn't something that either of us had really clocked before that left was partner and, and right was um, was family. Yeah. And they're becoming aware of, and you are, of the different landscapes of those relationships yeah. as well, which is really, really yeah. useful. And, and when you said this was like, a, like a, a tree or something like that, there are certain clients that have a, a real affection for a certain place that we might be working or you know, a spot where they kind of go, actually, no, this is my, this is my, this is, this is the place where I feel really comfortable. And, and some, I've had, we had one, one client who got out the car. It's, like, it's about a fourth session. And normally we, we walk at a sedate pace and they said, I'm really, really angry. And, um, the the pace of the walk was was not far off a, a jog right. um and we got to a point and they said what's up there and i said i don't know because i've never really got to this point of the walk because we've gone so fast time. yeah yeah and they said so i said we, we, we can go up there so we went up there and we found literally in the middle of the, the woods just this beautiful clearing and they they got into the clearing and just stopped and they said this is where i needed to be Wow. Wow. And I know it's obviously something that you're really passionate about as well. And, and that's why you got into it. But why did you specifically get into doing therapy outside? Was it an accident or was it a very conscious decision that you made? Why did you get into that? Um, I, I think it it combines for me elements of so many of, of the things that I am passionate about. So when I was transitioning from working in a, an office based environment, 
towards becoming a full-time counsellor and tutor. I, I, I left and started up my own gardening business because I was aware that I really wanted to be outside. And through that, I realised that actually, for me, being outside was a huge part of my own therapeutic process and just the, the joy of being outside and, and being surrounded with birdsong and, and greenery and, and, and living things um, and, 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 and embracing the weather. Um, and, I mean, and, and the British weather, as we said at the beginning, is, is, is something to behold at times. And just that, that thing of just feeling really alive being outside was really important to me. And it, and it was just something I thought, yeah, no, this is, this is something that really resonates for me personally. And I, and I know that, it, that there are people for whom being able to, to be outside rather than stuck in a room. Yeah. Um, and I'm using stuck in a kind of with inverted commas, um, but it, you know, and that intensity you mentioned earlier about sort of not being face to face. And I think the idea of being able to walk with somebody by their side um, is so much for me is takes so much pressure off of them to uh, it takes the scrutiny away. It takes the mm. kind of the, um, Spotlight. the power imbalance of any perception of me being the expert there to fix them mm-hmm. um we are we walk side by side and, and you know we, we 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 jump over puddles together and we you know we, we climb over gates together or we, you know it is all very much we do this together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and obviously that's helped with your day-to-day life and cognition i mean is that where your love of bird watching came from as well no no my, my love of bird watching is, is a lifelong thing so I, I I was brought up in a very very rural part of North Devon the nearest neighbour is about half a mile away in any direction and I've just my parents were both really in, into into bird watching so yeah I've, I've, it's just something I've always done and I have to say it's the biggest it's probably the biggest challenge of working outside is walking through woodland um, with, with a client and being aware of a bird that perhaps is a bird that I, I, well, I quite like to stop and, and see if I can see oh, it or, or what have you. I do this all the time. I just get my bird nerd app out. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah. do it, especially if it's something you think, what is that? I've not heard of it. Well, it's something usually really simple, like a woodpecker, but you don't recognise <laughs> it. And I think, oh, no, I need to stop. I need to stop. Or you need to take a photo. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to do it that. It really is. is. And, and it's... Even yesterday, I was walking through the woods and, and there was an eggshell on the ground. And it was uh, normally I would have stopped to pick it up and, and yeah, have a look at it and maybe even take it home and show, show it to my son or what have you. But I was wor- working with a client and I couldn't sort of, for me to have stopped and said, oh, I just need to pick that up or would have completely broken yeah. the, the therapeutic relationship. But what, what is lovely is being able to draw people's attention to, to changes. So when you're working in the same place, maybe for e- even a short period, so even maybe sort of six to eight weeks, the difference at this time of year between starting on a on a day where all the trees are, are bare and then eight weeks later, a lot of them being in, in leaf, and the, the, the bird song and just the activity of, of nature at this time of year and flowers coming out there's a real kind of potency to that yeah and, and i say this 
just drawing someone's attention that no the last time we were here that that tree was was looking dead and now look at it now mm. is yeah can be can can be really powerful yeah really move forward and and kind of the awareness there is is increasing on on being grounded and you know like you say being part of the bigger picture that's yeah. the thing yeah. isn't it it's not just about the issue the problem yourself whatever it is that's going on there's other things that and nature just continues and continues and continues you know there's and yes. that awareness is very is very important as well so he mentioned um earlier you were talking about um tutoring and you tutor at devon counseling college which yes. you must be really rewarding what is it you teach there and how do you find your client sessions influence how you coach people to be therapists i'm guessing um well yeah i so i i, I really love the teaching work and um so I, I teach our level two course uh which is like a 10-week introduction and i i I always kind of describe it as being the walking up to a lake and just having a bit of a paddle. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm still standing with, with the learners, having a paddle in the water and just kind of seeing if, if it's something that they they like and it, and, and it feels comfortable with. Um, and then I teach probably about a, a third to a half of the level three course that we run. Although at the moment I'm running a, an online version of it. So I'm, I'm sort of, teaching every week on, on that one but that's more of a kind of going for a bit more of a of a wade into the water and maybe even sort of come to the end putting our heads under the water and just kind of really immersing ourselves in in what it is to be on a counseling training course and and, and the, the sort of self-reflection mm -hmm. um and then i teach a couple of modules on our diploma course um so i teach cultural diversity and sort of the the health and safety or the nuts and bolts things the, the legalities around being a counseling professional um and i always describe that course as kind of where you go off your, for a swim and maybe swim out to shore and, and start exploring parts of the lake that you couldn't see from the initial starting point mm. so that's kind of my analogy in terms of what i teach and and, and i kind of I guess the levels to which we, we teach it as well the the difficulty is is that the passion that I have for it is that on the level two course, when we have a, a, a group discussion and we start talking, that it's just reining in, not just all, all of the learners in that discussion, but myself as well, from just spending the entire session talking about one element of, 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 the, of the course, because it is, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I, I would hate to I kind of just want to give everybody all the information that I possibly can about it. Yeah, because um, you've experienced it yourself and, and with your yeah. friends, etc. And and it is, I suppose, because each group is different and things will come up in a different way. You know, sometimes I know I've been in a in skills session or in a group session and you can just get on something and everybody's got a bit to say about it and you end up digging quite a deep hole there and it's it's sort of such an interesting thing to uh, discuss isn't it yes and uh, what's lovely is so the group that i'm working with online at the moment are, are based all over the country and we we even got um one learner who comes in from abroad so we've got a real multi multinational vibe to the group and so when we're, when we're talking about life experience and about how you know what our thoughts are on, on any particular topic 
You know, if we look at, for instance, cultural barriers, suddenly everybody's kind of saying, oh, there's this and there's that, mm. and oh, this happened to me. And all of those stories are so, bring such a richness and depth to the, um, the discussion. But it is then having to kind of go, I'm really sorry, guys, we've, we've, got, we've got to move on because we've still got another four things to discuss and skills practice to get in this evening. And it's um, it's constantly kind of, it's, it's a lovely thing to actually have to be almost like pulling people back rather than having to kind yeah. of say, what does anybody think about that? And, and just be met with stone silence. Dragging it out, really yeah. Cares. It never <laughs> happens, it never happens. Are you finding, um, I don't know if you have... Um, you know about this information if you have access to it but are you finding that more people are applying to be counsellors or to start that that journey because that is a journey um <laughs> at the moment after after this situation that we've gone through and are going through i'm not necessarily so sure that there are more that yes there, yes there probably are more but i think what, we're, what i'm i'm definitely seeing is there is a a change in the again inverted commas type of people that are um are, are coming forward looking for training i think that there's a there's, there's a huge imbalance in terms of the the cultural diversity of counselors at the moment and I'm, what i'm noticing is that there there seems to be more people from a range of backgrounds ethnicity uh, gender that are coming forward to to learn um counseling skills um which i think is, is which is great because mm. i think there's a real i think going back to that discussion that we had about sort of people accessing therapy i think the the, the wider the um the group of people that provide a therapeutic service is the wider it, the access becomes for people to yeah. to find somebody that they feel comfortable talking with yeah and diversity and yeah that whole area is is just so important to continue to grow and develop isn't it within within yes. the counseling framework so that's amazing that's brilliant so to be a therapist you need continued professional development um you know as you go through you need to learn different things and keep up to date and that kind of thing so what's next for you simon how do you see your practice developing and also your walking therapy and are you working on any projects at the moment yeah, so I've got, I, I, I think there are, I think that, like with everything, there's, there are a number of different ways that things could go. So in terms of my, my, my CPD, uh, my professional development, I'm doing quite a lot of online training at the moment, which has been absolutely brilliant. I, 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 there's a, I always sort of thought that uh, I was a bit, a bit of a purist, I think, that, oh, actually counselling, it takes place on a one-to-one on a -one basis and, and I think the training should as well in terms of being in a room and being in the same place as somebody but actually over the last 18 months I've really embraced the idea of, of, of myself learning online so I, I, I've got it's lovely I, I, I sort of pick up a number of different podcasts and, and, and other and, and just really just look to broaden my my life experience and, and my um, my, my training just by looking at different different modules and different ways of working um, I'm quite a visual person as well so I, any any sort of new model of therapy that I can look at and sort of interweave into into my process is is, is always really welcome I'm currently involved in a 
a project called Green Futures, which um, we'll be working with people that have been unemployed for a long period of time and who may well be struggling to get back into work and, and because of that suffering anxiety or what it may be that their anxiety is what is preventing them from getting back to work and we, we aim to work with them in a, in a, a practical eco-therapeutic sense and um, that's practical so we would be for instance maybe taking one or two people out and, and volunteering with the national trust um, to clear some an area of woodland or put some steps into footpath it's a real kind of practical experience so they can gain some experience but at the same time be again that word held we can we can hold them and and kind of work through on on, on some form of, of therapeutic basis uh, work through what's going on for them yeah, and it's also developing confidence, isn't it? I guess if they've oh, not been doing things, yeah, like absolutely. Well. I mean, if you, I know lockdown has been difficult, but if you're if you've been unemployed for a long period of time, and now on top of that, you're sort of stuck at home because you're not allowed out, not because you've got nothing to go out for, it becomes or the only time you did go out was to go to the shops, and you're not allowed to do that to get back out into society now must be so so difficult you know mm. such a and and the confidence to do that must be so hard to find so yeah we're hoping to to really kind of work with people to to to, to get them back out in into into full-time employment or, or part-time employment and and just really help them develop their own sense of of worth again and I was just thinking there, you know, when you said about getting back out into society, I was thinking this the other day, it does feel like you're at the beginning of a racetrack and somebody sort of shot the gun to go and you, you look around going, oh, right, we're off again. You know, you've got to yes. get the calendar out. Everybody's uh, texting and you're thinking, right, can we get away there? Okay, we can't go abroad. Maybe we can't. And all of this sort of extra stuff comes flooding back in. Uh, that we've not been used to. We've just gone, well, well, we just can't even entertain that now. There's not even any point in thinking about it. Let's just do what we need to do and get on with it. And all of a sudden, so if you need to get back out to work and all of that's happening and you're having to keep up with whatever's going on, that's that's an extra pressure, isn't it, as well? Yes. It, it's, I, I, I think, I think in many ways, the the next year or 18 months coming out of this this lockdown and assuming we don't go back into another one i think it, it's going to be a real big a really big change for a lot of people and, and a really frightening um experience for so many people and uh, again it's that that div, that sort of taboo of mental health that for a lot of people this would have been something that has fundamentally changed their their ability to cope with with what we, what we used to call day-to-day -day living yeah and and for some people it, I, I should imagine for a lot of people it, they'll be they'll be surprised by that you know those people that have constantly been pushed pushed and pushed themselves mm. and then suddenly have stopped and now to have to kind of refine that that mm. umph and that emphasis to to kind of get back out there I think it, uh, yeah, scary for a lot of people. And it's not even about, you know, I mean, I mentioned there, you know, going on holiday and seeing people. It's not about that necessarily. It could be that when the lockdown happened, 
a lot of us think, oh, this is just lovely. As in, I don't have to have any um, responsibility to organize this, to see that person, to go to work even. You know, there's not everybody wants to be out there socializing all the time. Not everybody wants to be interacting on a regular basis. Um, and for when the lockdown hit, for a lot of people it's oh, we can take a breath we can actually step out of the world and now it's right okay we've got to conform go back in like we were talking about earlier you know there's that expectation to perform isn't there yes mm. yeah and and, uh, and i think for a lot of people that they've kind of like you said they've they've enjoyed large amounts of 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 lockdown in terms of actually i could quite get used to this this lifestyle of yeah, not necessarily getting up when I want to and, and just walking around in in, in, in my dressing gown all day. But, Although that was nice, right? <laughs> oh, that, there, were, there were days when that was really nice. Um, but, it, but it is that thing of, okay, now I've got to actually go back into the office and, um, and put on that face that I put on when I go out and see people because they expect me to be, you know, Simon the, the Joker or Simon mm. the the professional or, or whatever it is what and it's like, actually, mm. do I really want to do that again yeah I know and I'm hoping that you know companies or in whatever situation it is that they can see the benefits of people perhaps working from home I mean not, not least of all the environmental impact let's not even go into that but you know that people can work from home we've all done it for however long almost 18 months now so is there a way that we can have more of a work-life balance and it isn't just all about Monday to Friday, you're going to go to work, Saturday and Sunday, you're going to be really tired and you're going to, you know, hopefully recharge, not necessarily fully, and then back we go again. You know, is there a way that we can bring in more of this balance to incorporate family and uh, relationships as well? You know, let's not forget that. Um, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if we could all tweak it a little bit going forward yeah absolutely and, and again it's i think we're as a society we, we're very not necessarily i think there's a there's a real we are guilty of black and white thinking so it's either oh okay you either you, you know you come into the office and you work five days a week and have two days off or or you don't work at all mm. and it's kind of actually or, or you just work from home but but actually there's there's probably a, a really nice compromise where i don't know maybe you work three days from from home and two days in the office or, or i don't know it just feels that as a society we kind of go one way or the other and mm. it'd be really lovely to sort of see a, a more joined up approach to for, for, for so many people in terms of actually that balance not necessarily just being work versus life but a genuine my working life and my life is working balance and it's um I mean we've seen that that's worked as well isn't it and obviously you love your walking I I know I've increased the amount of walking I've done to a crazy amount over lockdown and it's been really really good so that's um another bonus of being able to have that balance is a little bit more time okay instead of just sitting in the office and eating my sandwich at the desk I'm now going to go out for a half hour walk or something like that again getting into greenery getting into your environment a little bit more and, and feeling the health benefits of that so that would be really good so yes. here we go a deep dive into the stepping out question if you could walk with anyone with us or past famous or not who would that be simon where would you walk and what do you think you'd talk about okay now this is this is a question that i have 
thought about so much over <laughs> to, since since we first um, talked about doing this, and the the same place has come up time and time again. So I'm going to I'm, the, the place is 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 definitely fixed. Right. Um, the people that I take has has changed rapidly, but the small literally this morning I kind of went. No, I know who I would take. Good. So the place I would I would go for a walk, and considering that everything I've been talking about is is like immersing myself in nature, it's going to probably sound a bit weird, but um, it would be the moon. Ah. And the reason being is that I would like to take all the world leaders, all the um, big business uh, leaders, and take them for a walk on the moon and stop and just look down at the earth and just say that's where we live wow that's where i got to this morning yeah um, what a great one i mean you see those films don't you when from space you know when they go on the on space trips i'll call it um and they look back at the earth and you know they are in absolute awe. you know they almost speechless and and, and it probably doesn't translate very well to us. I mean, it is amazing, but when you actually would be up there, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think the the you know there's a I I could go sort of on and on about kind of like the the idea that when you're walking on the moon, it's 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 really desolate and empty and 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 everything else. Then you look back at this planet that is so full of life and color and and, and movement, even from the space. I always get the impression that you can sort of see the earth spinning and the the clouds moving and the weather and what have you I just, and it just struck me that it would what an amazing eye opener possibly transformational process that could be mm, yeah this is what we've got this is what we've got yeah. take a look and take note yes. yeah oh brilliant awesome answer i love that simon i really appreciate you coming to talk to us today about ecotherapy and mental health and i wish you many more years of helping people realize their potential thank you very much Thank you very much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. Simon, that was so interesting and poignant and I thank you for your time. I'm really hoping that you found that useful and perhaps it resonated with you. And I would love it if you would share this episode to at least one other person. Not just to share my podcast, although that would be lovely, thank you very much, but because you never know, it may just spur someone onto a path towards better mental health and that all-important self-actualisation. Let's lose this stigma around therapy and there being something wrong with people and encourage others to seek help in the form of talking and ecotherapy. And remember, this doesn't have to be something you pay for. Find yourself a wood, a lake, a field or a hill and just be in it, on it or around it and immerse yourself in the sights and sounds and enjoy it and feel the benefits of your outside surroundings. Forest bathing may be trendy these days and it's great, but it's free, it's accessible and it's always yours. If you found yourself asking whether therapy may benefit you, then give it a go. And the best place to go is the BACP website. This will ensure you receive therapy from a safe and fully trained therapist with the correct qualifications and the appropriate training for you. And those details are in the episode description. 
Thank you so much for listening. You really have no idea how much I appreciate it. This is the most enjoyable hobby and to know you are listening means a heck of a lot. Not just to massage my hopefully diminishing ego, but to know that you may benefit even just a little bit and share to others who may benefit too from all the great stories that people have to tell. I know I have learned a lot by doing this podcast and I hope it has become a companion for you to take out and about wherever you are in the world. If you have a story to tell and want to get in touch to be on the show, please, please don't hesitate to contact me at the usual address, steppingoutthepodcast at gmail.com. So I'll let you go to have a lovely day or evening and I very much look forward to having you along next time. <laughs>